Your money, your taxes, your truck, and your road to success in the trucking industry. This is Trucking Business and Beyond, the show that puts the money where it belongs. Back in your pocket. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. The website is Let'sTruck.com. The show is all about the business of trucking, and today is Destination Health. My co-host is Kim Cockerham. We'll take your calls and answer your questions about everything health, food, fitness, nutrition, diet, lifestyle, exercise, drugs, disease, training, supplements, you name it, we'll talk about it. All you have to do is pick up the phone and call. We're going to get to the calls in just a little bit. Kim, welcome and Merry Christmas. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, crazy weather we've had. We've had a very, very mild winter. No snow whatsoever. We could always see it up on the hill behind us, but... uh, you couldn't have asked for better timing on Christmas Eve. We got dumped on with a whole bunch of white stuff. Yeah. Yeah, we've had... <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'll bet. It happens fast when you're in Florida. Hey, you know, with all the reading I've been doing, I came up with something absolutely amazing. There is new research out, and this is such good... Listen to this. I want to read this to you. This is what scientists have discovered. A revolutionary new treatment makes you live longer, enhances your memory, makes you more attractive... Keeps you slim, lowers food cravings, protects you from cancer, dementia, and diabetes, wards off colds and flu, lowers your risk of heart attack and stroke, makes you feel happier, less depressed, and less anxious. Would you be interested in something like that? Yeah, it's uh, seven to nine hours of good sleep every night. Seven to nine hours of good sleep every night. And if you don't get it, boy, do things get ugly fast. I I know I talked a little bit about this book last week, but I wasn't done with it. So I may end up repeating things I can't remember. Um, I'm still not done with the book. It's actually a pretty long book, and we've had a lot going on. So um, I'm I'm way down below my average because this is uh, two weeks or about 10 days I'm going on with just this one book right now. But there is some really... Go ahead. You know, I didn't mention the title. I didn't. I should probably do that. It's called uh, Why We Sleep by Matthew Walker. Yeah, Why We Sleep. Really? So he's been a sleep researcher for a very long time, and this is what he's dedicated his whole life to. And he just wrote this book. It's new. So it's the latest cutting-edge stuff, and we are learning a lot about sleep. And in some ways, it's kind of scary. It is, you know, I I quote Dr. Phil a lot because he has some pretty good sayings. And one of the things he'll say, he'll have somebody on his show that is just a mess. 
I mean, they everything, you know, they're doing everything wrong. And, and he'll say, look, based on your history and what you've been through, I'm not at all surprised at what you're doing. I, I'm more surprised that it isn't worse. You know, he'll say that because if you look at all this, it's amazing that you're still here and you're still alive. It, it should actually be worse. I, I'm almost starting to feel that way about our health. When you think of all the things we do wrong now and everything we're learning about how much we've done wrong, it's a wonder we're still walking around on the planet. So I'm not surprised that, you know, diabetes is through the roof and people are overweight everywhere and heart, every statistic about health gets worse. But I'm not shocked anymore. In fact, I'm wondering why it's not worse than what it is. You know, they, he goes through statistics. I mean, they, and I think we've talked about this once before, and it didn't quite click because it doesn't seem to make sense. Just when we change the time, we fall forward or drop back or whatever we do with the time. Every time we do it, they can absolutely measure statistics. Like when we lose the hour of sleep, heart attacks go through the roof. So do car crashes. They, they've documented this. It's, it's not even close. It's really, really clear. And when we gain the hours of sleep, statistics all get better. That's just one hour in one day. Yeah, and you think about that. That's one hour of one day. How could that have such a big impact? But the the problem is we are so chronically undersleeping that it doesn't take much to push people over the edge. When when you look at everything that's going wrong, you know, I, I think I said this last week that I've I'm really strict about my food. I, I I have been almost the whole three years. I just don't cheat. And I think it's because I read so many books telling me all the things, you know, that would go wrong when I ate bad food. And I think it was enough that I I just don't cheat. And then I thought, why am I not so strict about my sleep? Because I know what I should be doing. I just don't think I've read enough. And this book, you read some of the things that poor sleep causes, I'm becoming much more protective about my sleep now. You just said you are too. It, it's, it's hard to figure out because we have, you know, kind of the three pillars of health. We could talk about food, movement, and sleep. And, you know, I've always put food at the very top. I, after this book, I'm starting to wonder, could sleep be even more important than diet? But it's such a, a kind of a circular argument. One affects the other. The other one affects this one. It's really hard to say what comes first. But there's a lot of evidence in this book uh, 
that if you're getting really poor sleep, it's hard to make good food decisions. That you crave the wrong foods, that you tend to overeat, and you tend to overeat all the wrong foods, and you, your willpower gets weak, and you make bad decisions. So would it be more important to address sleep, and then maybe that will help you address your diet? It's, here's another thing. We know that you could go, people do it all the time, you could go 30 days without eating, and in some ways, it could be healthier. You know, we know intermittent fasting is good for you. Going without food for days at a time or even weeks at a time doesn't seem to have any real negative health consequences and has some positive consequences. But sleep, not even close. One night without sleep, you've wrecked your health. And if you continue doing it, if you just short sleep one hour a night, your health deteriorates in less than a week. So if we want to figure out which one's more important, food or sleep, you can't go without sleep at all, period. There, there is nothing but negative consequences to interrupting any of your sleep. So that alone makes you think, wow, maybe I really do need to pay more attention to my sleep because... You know, going without it or having poor quality sleep is horrendous. One of the stories they tell in the book, there, there is a very, very rare disease. It's called uh, familial something insomnia, and it, it's genetic. It, they can't prove that somebody is going to get it or not, but it's a gene mutation that causes it. And what happens... And I'm going to have to go back and find this word. You know, I thought I knew a lot about sleep. I thought I knew all the chemical messengers, you know, the serotonin and the um, melatonin and, and all the things that affect sleep. Well, I read something in this book I've never heard before. And I, now I can't remember what the brain chemical is. But there's a little cluster of cells in the brain. They create one chemical... And that chemical is the master switch for sleep. That if when this chemical gets released, it turns the master switch on. Then the whole cascade happens. The melatonin, the lowered cortisol, all those things that help you go to sleep. But this one has to happen first. And I had never even heard of it. But we'll talk about that and more when we get back. Stick around. Kevin Rothenberg. This is Destination Health.
Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. This is Destination Health. Kim is here with me. We're going to get to your calls in a little bit. We're talking about sleep. So, Kim, in, in this particular disease, and I'll look up that chemical here in a minute. Like I said, I've never even heard of it. In this particular disease, they I think it was either a virus or a bacteria attacks those cells. And what happens is it they can no longer produce that chemical. And without that chemical, you don't sleep at all, period. Not a little bit of sleep, zero sleep. And there's nothing they can do about it. But here's the scary thing. 30 to 60 days later, you'll be dead. 30 to 60 days, dead. Not, nothing they can do about it. And when they do an autopsy afterwards, the body is destroyed. The, the organs and systems are absolutely destroyed. They say within like two weeks, the person is non-functional anymore. They can't walk. They can't put a sentence together. They can't think straight. And 30 to 60 days and they're dead and the body is ravaged. Nothing. Yeah, nothing they can do whatsoever. Um, It's just unbelievable. Um, That's how important sleep is. And yet, think about it. We know that, you know, we get some education about nutrition. It wasn't great. In fact, it was mostly wrong. But we get education about a lot of different health topics as we're going through school. You know, sex education, nutrition, lots of things. Nobody ever talks about sleep. There's zero education anywhere about sleep. Yeah, and yet it it could be the most important factor in our health. I'm having a hard time deciding. Clearly, we know diet is really, really important. I don't want anybody to think, oh, if I sleep good, I can just eat lousy. You can't do that. But you can't, you know, eating good and sleeping bad may be the reason some people aren't healing certain things. You know, they, they may be eating a really good diet. They may not be getting good sleep. And there are several factors that go into good sleep. One is time, and it's seven to nine hours. Seems to be what everybody agrees on. And what what the sleep researchers also agree on is all of the people running around saying, oh, no, I do really well on five or six hours or four hours, or I've trained my body. Yeah, not true. They, they've shown it over and over and over there is a, an extremely tiny percentage of the population, like I believe it's less than 1%, that has, a, again, it's genetic and they can isolate the gene. They don't sleep more than six hours a night and they tend to have no negative health consequences because of it. But it's extremely rare and, and they can even isolate the gene that causes it. And no matter what you do for these people, they just don't sleep more than six hours. And they're okay with it. They seem to do just fine. Everybody else, the problem is we don't give ourselves the long enough window. Some people will say, well, I just wake up after five hours and I can't go back to sleep. 
if that's the case, there's something wrong. There's something wrong in your diet. There's something wrong in your sleep hygiene or your environment. Because, again, the, the amount of research that he documents in this book is just incredible. All the different tests, and he goes into detail of how they performed all these tests, and it's, it's really interesting. But they've shown over and over and over seven to nine hours, anything less than that, and the negative consequences start to pile up. All that kind of stuff um, just goes right in line with the, the uh, downfall of our nutrition as well, and it's the same with our sleep. That that's what they talk about is you know we really screwed up the sleep cycle early on with just lights. Just light alone started to screw up oh, yeah. our sleep cycle because it was mm-hmm. dominated by the sun, and then you know when we were able to extend daylight with you know electric lights. That was the start of it, but it has gotten so much worse now, like most things, like our food, you know, started with the Industrial Revolution and just continues to get worse. So does our sleep. You know, we we have this, we even have this mentality that if you sleep too much, Mm -hmm. you're just lazy. And if you were a real go-getter, if you really wanted to succeed, you would get up earlier and you would stay up later and... You would be more productive. And again, they show over and over and over that you're less productive. You're working more hours, but you're less productive oh, without the sleep. Yeah. There are, mm-hmm. there are finally some companies now. Uh, there's one big insurance company, Aetna, I think, that is doing a couple things. It's allowing people to pick their own schedule so they have a, a certain block of hours like from noon to four that they are noon to three I think they have to be there at work and that's so that you know everybody's there and they can get some things done but they realize there's two chronotypes when it comes to sleep people who get up early and people who go to bed late the two totally different groups and they're allowing their employees now to pick their schedule if you want to come in earlier than normal you can and if you want to come in later than normal and stay later, you can. And they actually give them bonus points, and they get bonuses and more time off if they are willing to track their sleep with a wearable device. And if they get you know, so many days in a row, more than seven hours, they get bonuses and more time off. That's brilliant. That really is um, brilliant of a company to do that. Now, so what about um, what does that book say about shift workers? Oh, horrible, horrible. No fixing it. Mm. There's like there seems to be no solution for the damage you do because of those kind of hours. I'll tell you one that's even worse. And you've heard that I'm sure everybody's heard some stories about this. I've heard it many, many times, but it doesn't seem to change much. He goes really deep into how deep sleep affects our body. All the things that happen during deep sleep. Then all the things that happen during REM sleep. I mean, it's really in-depth. It's not one thing. 
there are hundreds of things going on while we sleep. And he even breaks it down to where if you get more deep sleep early in the night or if you get more deep sleep later in the night, it actually changes the way it affects your body. The same with REM. So it, it gets really, really detailed. But it's all about, so just to kind of put it in a nutshell real quick, during deep sleep, your body tends to, to store the things you learned that day. So all the things that happened to you that day are kind of stuck in short-term memory. If you have a bad night's sleep, they're gone. You, you'll, you'll forget them. You won't get them back. It doesn't even matter if you sleep six good nights after that. You miss that opportunity. REM sleep, which is the rapid eye movement where we dream a lot, that's where we take all the things we learned and your brain starts to make all these wild connections with all the facts and it enhances creativity and problem solving. And again, one night of sleep you miss, you miss making those connections. Now, what he really focused on was how adolescents that their brain is still forming, and those things are so hypercritical at that stage, and yet we force our kids to go to school really, really early when mm-hmm. adolescents are on a completely different sleep schedule. And he says it has nothing to do with teenagers being lazy. It has nothing to do with them staying out late and wanting to party that is their natural sleep cycle. They don't feel that sleep pressure till after midnight, and they would prefer to sleep in until 9 or 10 o'clock the next morning, sometimes later. And yet, in some school districts, if they ride the bus, we have them up at like 5.30 in the morning to get to school on time. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. he said it is, it is wiping wow. out their health, and they're not learning anything. Mhm. Wow. What would it take a school district? And I, my kids, when we moved down here, they uh, they start way early, um, a lot earlier than we ever had up in Ohio. Um, yeah. What would it take a school district and parents to embrace that and do something about it? You know, a lot of school districts have tried. The unions, the teachers' union, the school bus drivers' union—they oh, all fight it to the nail. Yeah. Isn't that sad? We're uh, we're gonna get to a break. We'll be right back. Stick around. I'm Kevin Rothenberg.
Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. This is Destination Health. Kim is here with me. We're talking about sleep. Kim, I found that um, that neurotransmitter. So it's it's part of the. Uh, let me find the right part of the brain here. The hypothalamus, I think. Yeah, it's it's in the hypothalamus. It releases a neurotransmitter called orexin. You've never heard of that. Wow. And there's yeah, cool. th- there's no way to get orexin into the brain. You know, there there we we know nothing once this. This little group of cells, you know, like I said, I think it was a virus or a bacteria. Um, Oh, in the autopsy, when they look at the brain, that little group of cells looks like Swiss cheese for some reason. But once it can't Mm -hmm. produce orexin, you can't sleep. Not even a little. People just can't sleep anymore. If, If that switch, if that orexin isn't released and flips that master switch to start all the other things that have to happen for you to go to sleep... You just don't go to sleep, period. And there's nothing they can do. Wow. That's, that's fascinating. Yeah. Fascinating and scary, but man almighty. Yeah, the other two things that, there's a lot in this book, but the other two things I really got out of it that made me think mm-hmm. was we've talked a lot about stress and cortisol and all the neurotransmitters when your body's in that fight-or-flight mode too often. And that clearly interrupts sleep. This researcher believes, though, that it it's, actually happens the other way around. When you have a poor night's sleep, your body has a very hard time getting out of fight-or-flight mode the next day. It may not be, you know, you not managing your stress well. It just might be that because of a poor night's sleep or, you know, five or six nights of just missing an hour or so that your body gets into that fight or flight mode and it gets stuck and it starts releasing too much cortisol and adrenaline and norepinephrine and and they show that it, it might be that it's the other way around but then it's a vicious circle because if you have a bad night's sleep and you can't get out of the fight or flight mode you're going to have another bad night's sleep because of it but they believe that we might have been approaching it the wrong way that it's the sleep that is the first step in causing people to stay in the fight or flight mode too often did you find because i find with uh, my heart rate variability watch too that when i do have poor sleep that's when my scores are low isn't that what happened to you when you were traveling Yes, absolutely. Yep. If I have that last time when everything took a nice Yeah, and and you bring up a good point because if I go back and look at all my records, I can have you know a really good night's sleep and my um, heart rate variability score stay very high no matter what else is going on. But if I have one poor night of sleep, my score mm-hmm. drops down to nothing. So. Maybe it is mm-hmm. the sleep affecting it more than what's going on during the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, that was just something I noticed with myself. The other, yeah, the other thing that we might have slightly backwards is we know that you know people who are diabetic have more sleep issues. Their blood sugar's out of control. That'll wake them up. It turns mm-hmm. out though. 
that it's more likely the poor sleep that contributed way more to them becoming diabetic. They Again, they've, they've taken healthy people, no blood sugar control issues whatsoever. They disrupt their sleep for as little as three or four days. Not, they don't keep them up for three or four days straight, but they just disrupt their sleep. Like they'll disrupt their deep sleep or they'll disrupt their REM sleep and they'll do different experiments. And completely healthy people will show up pre-diabetic within three or four days. Oh, wow. Yeah. You know what? You brought up the um, sleep um, hygiene, too. That was also part of our conversation with Dr. Brown when right. we were talking about Antrotil and uh, you know, Cybo and that. And I remember, and I keep trying to remember, he was saying he had some word. I remember Herschel even reached out, and I, I, I've sent a note to them. I want to find out having to do with the uh, sleep hygiene, something that needs to happen um, to help all the healing and, and so forth as well. That That's a huge part of this book. Here's another scary one. They They take children, completely healthy, they disrupt their sleep. Again, it doesn't need to be for a long time or really extreme. After three or four days of disrupting their sleep, and I think it was their REM sleep that they were disrupting, which is the sleep that they miss when we wake them up too early. Because you tend to have your REM sleep much later in the sleep cycle. You have your deep sleep early in the cycle. So, and it doesn't always work that way, but it's it's pretty consistent. They would disrupt their REM sleep for three or four nights in a row. They would send them to a doctor and let the child explain how they were feeling. Based on their symptoms after three or four nights of disrupted sleep, the doctor would almost always diagnose them with ADHD. Symptoms are almost identical. Mm. And then what they do, because this is what we do with kids with ADHD, we put them on amphetamines, Mm -hmm. which is the strongest possible Mm -hmm. medication to disrupt your sleep. Wow. Yeah. And and is it any wonder why we we have, like, I forget the number, some stupid number, like 30 or 40% of our kids now are diagnosed uh, with ADHD. And in France, like zero. They have none. They don't even, they don't yeah. even, they barely recognize what ADHD is. Now, what do they attribute that to over there? They sleep a lot better. I mean, is they, there, they, okay. They, they don't have, they have a much more, something you and I were going to talk about today, we kind of ran out of time. Um, they have much more connection. They take, you know, long, long times for their meals and their... So I think their whole lifestyle, mm. you know, the, the more um, real whole food in, in France has been much more common. They, they eat a high-fat diet, and it's the fat-soluble vitamins that are really good for your sleep. But they also have a much more relaxed lifestyle. So, you know, they, they're... Almost the opposite. You take some of the countries now like Japan and South Korea where success is is a huge thing and they push themselves. They're seeing more problems than we are. But if you look at some of the countries where life's just a little more laid back, they don't have nearly the kind of sleep issues we're seeing. So did you get far enough in the book to... Um 
because I bet you have a room full of people and you ask how many here get seven to nine hours of sleep. I bet you get very few people that raise their hand. I, I may be wrong, but I just, I just think in general, you know, we are so sleep deprived and especially, you know, our tribe out there, um, you know, we found that with our team drivers and stuff too, you know, it was, even, it was the quality of sleep as well because of having to try sleeping on the go. Um, did you get far enough in the book yet for him to share uh, what to do? You know, I, I haven't. I, um, I think that's probably going to be last, but I'm not looking forward to much that I don't already know. I mean, I, I, I've studied the mm-hmm. whole sleep hygiene. You know, I've studied the nutrition side. I kind of doubt that I'm going to find anything new about what to do to fix it. I, I know a lot, and I will say that if you do these things consistently, it's just like diet. It works. I mean, I've had, and, you know, I've Mm -hmm. talked about my sleep issues many times. Um, I've had two nights in the last 10 days where I got 100 on my sleep score. So if I'm consistent. You can feel the difference. Oh, it's incredible. Like heart rate variability, my scores go through the roof. I feel better. I think better. I'm in a better mood. It's being consistent, getting that seven to nine hours, getting the good cycles throughout the night where you're cycling through deep sleep and REM sleep. And when I when I get it, it makes all the difference in the world. But you've got to be really, really consistent with a lot of things. You know, I, I haven't even... Eating real food's a big part of it. So diet, you know, getting the high-fat diet, real food, not all the junk, making sure you're absorbing all your fat-soluble vitamins. Last week we talked about a new product we have in the store. That is, um, it's the four fat-soluble vitamins, A, D, E, and K. And they're already emulsified in fat, so your body absorbs them really well. That's important on the nutrition side. The lifestyle side, I think, is where a lot of people are just going to struggle. Um, and, and our lifestyle is getting more and more difficult when it comes to sleep. Stick around. We'll be right back with more stuff. I'm Kevin Rothbard. back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. This is Destination Health. Kim is here with me. Kim, a couple more things, then I want to get to a call or two. I think what we'll do is on our next show, we'll talk about, you know, sleep hygiene and some of the things we can start doing to make it better. Um, I I think what, what kind of triggered me is in the past, I think I've always had this mindset that sleep was important, but mostly kind of for performance the next day kind of thing. 
you know, if I sleep good, I feel better, I have a good day. I don't think I was really focusing on all the negative health consequences of not sleeping good. Mm-hmm. So I think that's what's, yeah. what's changing. And, you know, it's, it goes right in line. Go ahead. Oh, okay. And it's the same with what you, we learn with uh, um, educating ourselves on the food. Since it's, you know, like you were saying, yeah, at the beginning, that when you educate yourself on why you don't want to do certain things and why you do want to do certain things, um, both of those together help create the... Uh, or or support the habit to, to yeah. stick better to it. Yeah. So next show, mm-hmm. I think we'll talk about uh, some of the things we can start doing. I do have, I, I have lots of ways. It's just, I, you know, it, there. It's kind of like changing the whole way you eat, changing the whole way you live and sleep is a mm-hmm. big thing, and sometimes it's not that easy. But let's. Uh, Let's go to Nebraska. Kevin and Deanna, welcome to the program. Hello, Kevin. Kim. Hey there. There he is. Hi, Kevin. What can we help you with today? (laughs) (laughs) Well, my wife has been having some, uh, we'll, we'll call them attacks. And she, no, nobody can tell us what's causing it. Uh, last night she had one to where she felt the her clothes having her clothes on was was uh, like strangling her until she was able to get home. And before that, she uh, she'd have a pain. In the center of her chest and in about the middle of her back, and and her uh, she, she felt like her bra was too tight, she, so she'd have to take it off, and that kind of that kind of helped the pain ease up a little bit. But it also seems to be that uh, heat also helps after a period of time. Now, we had her do the nutri with Kim, uh, and we're looking to get her on the uh, uh, 30-day gut healing program and start there. She's, she's finally decided to convert over. Okay. Hey, clearly, gut healing is, is where we always start. She is off the charts on almost every single category and and in some just way way off the charts so clearly there's a lot of negative stuff going on Um, this isn't going to be one of those easy cases to sort out but starting with gut healing is a great idea Um, I'm going to say uh, did I also see somewhere Kim that she was diagnosed with Hashimoto's yeah, yeah, I sent an email with a little bit of a little bit of summary, but I knew Kevin could because it just the more we started talking, the more you know symptoms and issues come up, and that's why we wanted to get her on the show. So that was probably even just touching the surface too with that email that I sent. Yeah, and you know things like that pain or the constriction with their clothes; those are like I want to—they're like non-specific. Those aren't going to point us anywhere they they might be a little clue as we dig deeper and deeper into this 
But we've got to start with a couple big things and, and get those cleared up. Um, digestion would be one. So starting with the gut healing is always a good idea. But I would be looking for somebody who specializes in thyroid conditions. Thyroid problems can just wreak havoc with almost every system in the body. And conventional medicine is really, really bad at diagnosing thyroid problems. And even when they diagnose it as, say, Hashimoto's or something else, their treatment actually makes things worse. It'll get rid of a couple symptoms, but it'll cause all kinds of other problems. So I would find a naturopath, a functional medicine doctor, or an NTP that specializes in thyroid. It's a very um, challenging area. It does require um, thyroid panels to be done, and somebody has to really know how to read those thyroid panels. Um, I I can stumble through it, you know, but I'm not really good at it. Um, Actually, um, my son, Michael, has started to specialize in thyroid, and he was... My head was spinning the other day when I was talking to him um, about how they they look at the different tests very differently in the scores. But if you get the thyroid fixed, a lot of other stuff will start to follow suit. So I think, you know, we usually pick one or two things to work on. In this case, I would clearly start with digestion and gut healing, but I would also be finding somebody that could really look at the thyroid numbers and figure out what's going on. Okay. Hi, hi Kevin. This is Deanna. Hi, um, we did go to a preventative MD doctor for a year, um, and she did test me, and what it came back was that I had um, inflamed bowel disease. I was full of bad bacteria, no good bacteria. Hashimoto, as well as my adrenals were burned out, and my hormone levels were all off. Yeah, which doesn't surprise so, me. Um, that's where you know all of these things are kind of interconnected. The gut bacteria um, play a big role in hormones. Now, it, did you eat a low-fat diet for a long time? Yes, I. She. She wanted me to be sugar-free, grain-free, dairy-free, and I pretty much did that for a year, and I lost like 20, 25 well, pounds. Hold, hold on. Let me... But I was still working a very stressful diet. I mean, uh, I had a very stressful job. Yeah, so during that time, and, uh, the, it's good to eliminate all those things, but were you eating a lot of good, healthy fats? Well, I was trying to. I was eating meat and vegetables. Okay. But what happened was to see my my stomach bloats, just gets horribly huge. Well, that that's that's, that's what happens is I just swell up huge. Yeah. And that's so where I get the pain, swelling. So everything you're experiencing is usually things we see in women, primarily. And it was women who ate a very low-fat diet for a long period of time. We see it in vegetarians. We see it in vegans. Because the body needs those good fats. And, and hormones, you talk about your hormone levels being out of whack. All the hormones are built from the fat-soluble vitamins. Without them, you can't build good hormones. So the, the, the two keys here are, one, 
Well, three. One, we've got to get the diet good. And it sounds like you've already started doing that. You eliminated all the things that cause problems. I would also recommend... I was, but then what happened... Go ahead. What happened, Kevin, was then all of a sudden, um, it, my body... I don't know if it was rejecting what I was eating, now, but I started swelling up. Now, here's... Every morning, I was drinking a GSI drink. There, and, there's two things. And as soon things. as I started drinking that, it there's two things that, that are uh-huh. probably going on. One, after eating low fat for a very long period of time, your body, your gallbladder doesn't work properly, your liver's not working properly, you probably have low stomach acid. I don't have a gallbladder. Well, there's a... There's a <laughs> I don't have a gallbladder. So did, did the doctor have you supplementing with bile salts? Um, I was taking supplements... Um, Buterate, buterate, and um, one was supposed to kill the bad bacteria, and one was supposed to promote the good bacteria. Two different supplements, but but no bile salts. Um, she had me so the so the butyrate. Oh, the doctor didn't do the bile salts. Yeah, antibatten and um, buterate, buterate with uh, for short chain fatty acid, calcium and magnesium. Yeah, so the calcium the, the calcium needs to go. The butyrate, your body can produce completely on its own if you're eating the right foods. Good. That's why we talk about grass-fed butter. But you've got to have good stomach bacteria. So th- some critical steps were missed here. Many of your problems are coming from the fact that you weren't eating enough fat. You don't have a gallbladder, so you can't digest the fat you are eating. And that's why you would absolutely have to have bile salts. We would have to do gut healing to stop the bloating. We do need to get the the gut bacteria in balance. But the hormones are the biggest problem. So, again, it's going to come back to that thyroid and digesting fats. Um, this This is going to be a more complicated case than just a couple minutes here. Uh, And again, I I think it's going to need somebody who really understands thyroid, and that is a more specialized area. Um, That's all the time we've got. We'll have to do this again real soon. Thanks for joining us. This is Destination Health. Thanks, Kim. We'll see you all next time. Be safe. Be profitable. Be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey. I'm Kevin Rutherford. All right, we are going to do a second hour. We've got a bunch of questions here, so we're going to get started right now. Your money, your taxes, your truck, and your road to success in the trucking industry. This is Trucking Business and Beyond, the show that puts the money where it belongs. Back in your pocket. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. The website is Let'sTruck.com. The show is all about the business of trucking, and today is Destination Health. My co-host is Kim Cockerham. We'll take your calls and answer your questions about everything health. Food, fitness, nutrition, diet, lifestyle, exercise, drugs, disease, training, you name it. We'll talk about it 
All you have to do is pick up the phone and call. We're going to get to those calls in a little bit. We are... Well, Kim, welcome. (laughs) Hi, Kevin. Glad to be here. Last week of the year. It is the last week of the year. Hard to believe, but... uh... It's here, mm-hmm. 2018, shaping up like it could be a really good year for a lot of things, so I'm excited about that. Um, we've been talking a lot about sleep. I think sleep is going to be my focus for 2018. Um, you know, there's a lot we've learned about nutrition, a lot we've learned about digestion. We can help people in all those areas. Sleep, I think, is is the key. It's the missing factor. So I'm going to put as much effort into sleep as I did nutrition. And I think we're going to, you know, I'm already learning a lot of things. I want to talk about some of those today. The last show we talked about all the negative consequences of not getting enough sleep. Um, You know, I I also want to start working on how we get better sleep. Right now, I don't see it as being easy. It's almost like the food thing, everything in our society, the deck is stacked against us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and especially our tribe. I think they have such an extra challenge with it. And um, I think we had asked that before, too. We'd love to hear how people deal with it out on the road, you know, send us or send us your challenges, you know, um, to support at letstruck.com and let's, let's collectively see what some of the bigger, you know, we know a lot of them, but just really like to get some individual feedback from people. Yeah, you know, I, I'll actually be a little encouraging in that area. I drove a million miles myself, most of it as a solo driver. But I did some teamwork when I, I, I hired teams for a long time, and I would have to fill in once in a while. The driving team was murder on my sleep. Driving solo was actually when I slept the best. Oh, good. Yeah. It, 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 why is that? Well, because... Why, why think, was it? Think about some of the things that we know will disturb your sleep. Um, too much mm-hmm. light in the room, not the right temperature in the room. Um, sleeping with another person creates some challenges. You might have different preferences for the amount of light or the TV on or off or temperature differences or when the other person moves or if they're not sleeping good and they get up a lot. All, all of those things will interrupt your sleep. So it, it's always more difficult to sleep with somebody else. So when I was on the road and by myself, I could control the environment and I knew a lot of these things back then. Mm-hmm. I made sure my sleeper was pitch black. You couldn't see a thing in there. I kept it, you know, in, in that temperature range of about 60 degrees. I tend to like it even colder than most people. 65, they say, is optimal for sleeping, around 64, 65. I can sleep good all the way down to like 55. As long as I have enough blankets, I sleep great like that. So I could keep it very cold, very dark. And I could put on, you know, maybe white noise or something in the background that I liked and I could get a great night's sleep. And the other thing is, if I was out on the road, I I wanted to be doing two things most of the time, either driving or sleeping. 
because anything else wasn't really making mm-hmm. me any money, and I was away from home. So I just wanted to get out there, make as much money as I could, and then get home and spend my time at home. So if you think about it, you know, under the hours of service, we're allowed to work 14 hours. It was a little different when I was driving. That, that change came after I stopped driving full-time. But I've driven under the new hours of service, and it, we'll just go by those. You're allowed to work 14 hours of the day, which means you have to have 10 off in, in every 24-hour period. Well, we need seven to nine hours of good sleep. So you can't do much else. I mean, you know, in your 14 hours, you're getting things like fuel and you're in truck inspections and those kind of things done. So your 10 hours, you need to eat, get a shower, and get seven to nine hours of sleep. And because I was away from home, what else is there to do anyway? So that's what I would do. I didn't watch TV. I didn't have one in my truck. I wouldn't have one today if I were on the road. I might read a little bit and go to sleep. So... I look back at the time when I was driving solo, and it was probably some of the best sleep I got in my life. There's no reason not to sleep good. You you have to work a little harder to control your schedule, and I would highly encourage people not to drive overnight. Uh, and I know it's tempting, and I know there are some real benefits to driving at night, but from all the research I've done, our bodies are just not designed to do that and and you don't ever get used to it you might feel like you got used to it but you haven't our, our bodies do not function well when we sleep outside of our normal circadian rhythm so solo drivers they're going to have to make some change they're going to have to control some things but i think they have the the least amount of challenge when it comes to sleep it's the team drivers that it's really rough That is encouraging, then. That's that. That's um, you describing it that way. Um, that that is encouraging for the other drivers. Yeah, good. Yeah, you're you're basically if you're a solo driver, you're out there by yourself. You're not worried about you know your kid. You know, mm-hmm. didn't come home till one o'clock in the morning, so you stayed up late waiting for them up. You know, all the distractions that right. happen in life. You know, your neighbors stop over with a bottle of wine and and they want to talk, and you know. You can either be rude and say, well, look, I go to bed at 930, um, but more likely you end up staying up late. And by the way, alcohol, really, really bad for Mm -hmm. sleep. Yeah. Really bad for sleep. In fact, um, go ahead. No, I just heard somebody would ask about, do you know what, oh, I forget what they said, like if they called it more like wine o'clock or something like that, and he's and he, the guy answered back like, isn't that three in the morning when you wake up because you've had wine? <laughs> it's, it's true. It's so disruptive on sleep. Yeah, even if you don't wake up, the quality of sleep is horrendous. Mm-hmm. I mean, way worse than what I've ever thought when I, I read this book, Why We Sleep. Uh, he goes into alcohol. In fact, he says... If you really want to drink, you should drink first thing in the morning. He says, I know that's weird. Most people, you know, look at that, you know, really negatively. He said, but honestly, if you want to enjoy some alcohol, the earlier in the day you enjoy it, the less likely it's going to affect your sleep poorly. Hmm. Yeah. Well, that opens up a whole nother thing. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's right. <laughs> yeah. A little, uh. 
little wine with my eggs this morning. I, it's just easier not to drink. I, you know, I, I gave up alcohol. Yeah. And here's the thing that I found. You know, it's kind of like, remember when we first talking, talked about giving up grains? And, you know, we said we felt so much better. And mm-hmm. then if we ate grain, how horrible people would say they felt. And some people would say, oh, my God, why, then I'm not giving it up because I don't want to have to feel that bad if I want to eat a cheeseburger now and then. Alcohol is kind of the same thing. I went almost nine months, zero alcohol. If I try to drink it now, I feel horrible. And I notice that it really does affect uh, my sleep very negatively. Uh, so I'm looking at the clock. I'm going to have to uh, get us into the break. And we'll come back from the break. And we're going to get to your calls and questions right after this. So our topic is sleep. It is um, looking like it's going to be my number one focus for 2018. We've learned a ton about nutrition and health, the way we eat, the supplements that, that help us fix our digestion. Think of all the topics we've covered. I think the one we're still missing the boat on is sleep. I've been working on this topic, sleep and stress together, uh, for over six months now. Probably get coming close to a year. Um, now it's time to start putting some protocols together, some ideas. I have a couple supplements that are actually helping. Uh, so we uh, let me get to a break, and we will come right back, and we will get to more of your calls and questions right after this. So stick around. We'll be right back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. This is Destination Health. your host pin when finished press the pound key to start your show now press one since it appears you're calling back into a live show we are reconnecting you now
back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. This is Destination Health. Kim is here with me. We're talking about sleep. I think it's going to be a big topic for us for a while, Kim. Uh, some some really interesting stuff about sleep. And one of the things, and I'm not surprised by this at all, but it was interesting to see the evidence. All of the sleep medications, worst thing we could do. Oh, wow. Why is that? Um, all of them, Ambien, um, Lunesta, uh, mm-hmm. even the, those are the newer style, even the older style, uh, the same thing. They don't put us to sleep. They make us unconscious. Two very, very different mm. things. So you get none of the benefits of sleep when you're taking those drugs. Yeah. And then you get uh, people feel like they're dependent on it, and so they don't do the other things. I'm sure that, like the sleep hygiene that we talk about, you know, that things they need to get in place. Wow. Right. Right. So, and basically, that's also what alcohol does. Uh, you know, people say, oh, but alcohol mm-hmm. does help me sleep. Yeah, it does. But it, it helps you become unconscious, it doesn't help you sleep. To, they can measure the difference in brain waves, and they say it's not even close. That they can absolutely without knowing they could look at the brain waves of somebody and tell you whether or not they took something like ambien or alcohol or any of those things because their brain waves are completely different and they're not getting all the benefits of real sleep and you're right all of those drugs have what they call horrible rebound insomnia if you were taking them because you couldn't sleep and then you try not taking them, forget it. You're, you're not going to sleep, you know, for days mm-hmm. sometimes till it gets out of your system. So the uh, now I have found um, two supplements that I'm not ready to really release yet. But here's the interesting thing. I almost gave up on supplements for sleep. And here's why. I expected... That if I took a supplement, it would help me sleep that night. And that's not how it works. So if we take an Ambien, you go to sleep, like right now. So you know, I took it, I fell asleep. That, that's a clear cause and effect. I've tried all kinds of supplements. Very seldom do you take them and go to sleep. So I kind of gave up. And I thought, well, supplements aren't working. You know, sometimes melatonin might work. There's actually some things that they claim are good for health or sleep that stop me from sleeping. Valerian is one of them. Valerian, I guess, for a lot of people, it helps them sleep, does the opposite for me. I can't sleep at all if I take that. But what I found is... What is that? I'm uh, not familiar with it. uh, Valerian is... is, um, I think it's a root. You'll find it in a lot of the teas, uh, like Sleepy Time Extra. Okay. So I can take Sleepy Time, and it does help me feel a little more drowsy. Now, here's the thing. It's kind of like the whole food thing. You know, take it, eating the right food one time is probably not going to have any big effect. If you're eating some of the right foods but a lot of junk... Or remember, you know, I've talked about you can eliminate 90% of grains and get almost no results. But if you eliminate 100, then Mm -hmm. everything changes. Um, You know, sometimes it's the same with with some of these supplements and sleep. That sometimes you take them and you go, oh, yeah, I slept better last night. This might work. But then the next night it does almost nothing. And what I've found is that 
first off, you have to do a lot of other stuff right. If you're doing all the wrong stuff, drinking a cup of sleepy time tea isn't going to help much. Um, sleepy time ex- sleepy time is chamomile. Sleepy time extra is chamomile and valerian. Chamomile relaxes me and helps me sleep some. Chamomile and valerian keeps me awake. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. So, but I have found a, a group of supplements... Um, two different products that have multiple supplements in them that over time is really working to improve my sleep score. But it's not like I take it at night and, and just immediately go to sleep. And some nights, if, if you've done a lot of things wrong, you could take this, it's not going to help much at all. But over time, doing all the right things you you can really improve your sleep score. I've I've moved mine up from the mid seventies to the low nineties, and I've had a couple nights at a hundred. When I'm consistent at doing these things night after night after night, then I start to see my score improve. I feel better. I see all the benefits. So it it it's not going to be one of those easy protocols. Oh, just take this supplement, and you'll sleep fine. It's not going to work like that. But isn't that exactly how we said supplements are on the food side as well? You have to do all the other stuff right. It is. It is exactly. Yep, it is exactly. And it's getting the habits and being committed to them um, and not thinking it's going to be a quick fix. Um, Kevin, you keep saying about your sleep score, too, and I'm not, I can't remember if we talked on the show, like, what are you using that is giving you that sleep score? So it seems to be that almost all of the sleep devices use this score of 0 to 100. Like I've, a Fitbit I've seen, uh, many of the wearables do it. Um, I'm using, right now I'm using my um, Zoom uh, as one device. And, okay. and I'm also using uh, Bedit as a second device. And I talked oh, about right. this last week. Mm-hmm. I have a device coming from a company called ResMed. Uh, it's called SleepScore Max. I actually got the notice that it's in my post office box, so I'll probably be using that tonight. Oh, cool. Yeah, and all three of them track differently, so I can actually use all three at the same time and kind of correlate their scores. But that 0 to 100 seems to be a pretty standard scale in all the sleep measurement devices. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I use this. I like the Zoom one, but I'd love to see the um, comparison that you're doing with the three devices. Yeah the 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 difference really is the Zoom kind of tells me how long I slept and kind of gives me an idea of if deep sleep. The bed it gets more detailed. It tells me exactly how long it took me to fall asleep, how many times I was awake. Um, shows my cycles better between deep. What it doesn't identify is it only identifies the difference between deep sleep and light sleep. Um, But REM sleep, which is critically important, is a very different sleep cycle, and most sleep devices can't tell the difference between deep sleep and REM sleep. Mm -hmm. And the bed it can't. Um, and I believe this ResMed, because I had an older version of this a couple years ago, actually measures REM sleep as well. So that's what I'm looking forward to is being able to de- differentiate between just deep sleep and REM. 
One of the big differences, uh, I'm not really sure why they don't track this. I, I never knew this. In REM sleep, you are completely paralyzed, 100%. You can't move at all in REM sleep. And how long are we typically in that? Is there there are an ideal number of minutes? Or yeah, there there is a the the more deep and REM sleep you get throughout the night, the better you're going to be. We tend to cycle from light to deep to REM to light to deep to REM, and they actually like to see five cycles throughout the night, and. In the early okay. cycles, your deep sleep will be longer and your REM will be shorter. And then ideally, later into the night and, and into the morning, your deep sleep will get shorter and your REM sleep will get longer. And REM sleep is also when we dream. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it could... Okay, cool. Yeah, a, I, the Zoom, it's interesting. Go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just, I was looking at my Zoom kind of look at that because um, when you were mentioning about the REM um, or what they measure, I just, I just got my kids, God love them, got me a, um, went together and got me a new watch, Garmin, for uh, tri training and that. And it was, it's really cool how it tracks the um, sleep. And it's the first time I've seen the deep and the light and the awake. And trying to compare that to the Zoom is kind of interesting. Right. But it doesn't do the REM either. Yeah, I believe this device that I've got coming right now, if I remember right, it measures REM sleep, which is pretty important because there's a whole bunch of different stuff going on. One of the interesting stories that I read in this in the book about sleep was that, you know how you've read about the alien abductions? You know, people claim they were abducted by aliens and, you know, the, uh-huh. the, yeah. Uh-huh. It turns out virtually all of those are reported by people that it happened while they were sleeping. And this researcher has a theory about this because there is a, a condition. I don't think it's a disease because it can come and go. There's a condition that when you're in REM sleep and you're 100% paralyzed, but sometimes people wake up, but their body doesn't come out of that paralysis. They can't even open their eyes, but their Mm. brain is awake, but their body is still stuck in the REM sleep. And it, it can come and go for some people throughout life, and some people obviously never experience it, but... He, he made this correlation. I'll talk about that more when we get back. The music's playing. This is Destination Health. We'll be right back with more stuff.
Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. This is Destination Health. Kim is here with me. We're talking about sleep. So, Kim, I guess when you're in this REM sleep, your body's 100% paralyzed. You can't move at all. And the second you wake up, your body comes out of that state. That's normal. But something happens, and for some people, their brain wakes up, but their body stays locked in that paralyzed state. And I guess it's a very odd sensation and it's scary and you know they can think but they can't move they can't open their eyes and he believes that you know many of these alien abduction stories are just people in this state that are you know suffering they're kind of half awake half asleep and paralyzed in REM sleep Hmm. kind of weird it would be scary (laughs) yeah 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 all right let's uh what do you say we get some phone calls that sounds great, Ken. All right, let's do that. Let's start off right here in Oregon. Brenda, welcome to the program. Hi, Kevin. Hi, Kim. Hi there. Hi, Brenda. Hey, hey uh, you've been hitting on a lot of things that I've got going on today's show. But I was curious about something you did last week about the vitamin D deficiency. Yes. Because um, I've got a genetic disorder. I grew up known as basal cell nevus, but I think they're calling it Gorlin syndrome nowadays. Okay. It's all genetic genes and all that. And I get the basal cell carcinoma, and I wear the sunscreen. And, yeah, I'm vitamin D deficient. But, um, oh, sorry. <laughs> um, so I've got some of the supplements. I do, because I don't have a gallbladder, so I'm doing the beta plus and the gastrozine. Okay. And the bioforte, but I'm going to start the uh, leaky gut protocol. Okay. I know I'm getting off track now. <laughs> um, well, that's okay. When I do the leaky gut, do I still take the beta plus? Do uh, I still take the beta plus and the gastrozine with the leaky gut? Uh, the beta plus, yes. Kim, what do you think on the gastrozyme with the leaky gut? <laughs> well, and I was thinking, why, are you, you're, you're doing the gastrozyme or hydrozyme? No, well, I have the hydrozyme too, but I'm not. I'm not doing that one because I don't think I did it right because I wasn't getting the burning. But yeah, I'm taking the gastrozyme, the beta plus, and the bile. But I still have in my cupboard because I haven't been taking because I'm not sure um, if I should be taking all of them. Is I also have the cytozyme, the hydrozyme, and the optimal. Okay, um, Kevin, we have for, and it's interesting your question, Brenda, because I have a email to Parker that I sent, oh, before the holidays last week, and I followed up this morning trying to get a hold of him because we have somebody else that's asking the same question with the Beta Plus and the Hydrozyme. Beta Plus, I agree with you too, Kevin. I think that's more than fine there, but I'm waiting for an answer back from Parker on the um, Hydrozyme. Gastrozyme's more of a um, healing type supplement, Brenda. So okay. uh, I'll double check with him, but I, I wouldn't see a, a, you know, a problem with that. Right. Um, that okay. is more of a healing for this off of guessing stuff. Yeah. So. Yeah. I, yeah, I I'm just, I got to get more serious with my diet. Yeah. I just got to get more serious with the diet because I'm having more issues, um, digestion and stomach and intestinal. Mm. So, and I'm even thinking about, um, cutting out, I use heavy cream in my coffee. And yeah, then did, I do. I don't do the bulletproof coffee every day. But the eggs and the and the whipping cream, I got to get rid of because I had eggs the other morning, 
and then I felt kind of icky afterwards. But then the next day, I didn't really want to eat anything because I had an upset stomach. But I made some soup in my crock pot in the in the truck, and that hit the spot. Yeah, you know? and egg, I did a ham shank, you know, soup. Yeah, eggs, eggs, and dairy are two big disruptors in digestion. So, getting rid of them is never a bad thing. Yeah. I mean, we could always go do the fit test, but why not just eliminate them? And if you feel better, then you know. Um, and, and after yeah. some gut healing. You could try the eggs again. Dairy seems to be a problem for a lot of people. So, I, I, you know, I, I don't always encourage people to go back to dairy. Although you might find forms of dairy. Like, I don't do really well with a lot of yeah. heavy cream. But I do just fine with as much cheese as I want. I mean, I, 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 and I eat real high-quality cheeses, and I tend to eat a lot of raw milk cheese. But I do just fine with cheese. I, I limit you know, okay. heavy cream or whipped cream. And, and, you know, even when it's whipped cream, it's the real stuff and high quality, but I still have to limit it. Okay. No, I plan on doing the fit test because I was looking at your, the gold plan and at some point I'm going to get signed up for that. And then I'm mm-hmm. going to do the Nutri-Cube again, but after I kind of get more serious with my diet, because mm-hmm. I've already taken it once, mm-hmm. um, but I'm going to get more serious with the new coming year. And then also, um, okay. I left my LTL job a year ago, and I was getting one to two migraines a month back home. Since I've come out on the road, I haven't had, oh, I had one, but I think I just kinked my neck because um, my neck is completely fused and never had surgery. I think it's part of that genetic disorder I have. Hmm. But I haven't had one really bad headache, one migraine in almost a year since I left that job and got away from all the family drama. <laughs> well, that's good. That's good. And, and we do know, again, that stress... Um, is a big part of all this. So, Kim, you know, we, we've got diet, we've got stress, now we've got sleep. Um, mm-hmm. Movement and exercise, we know they're important for a lot of things about health, mm-hmm. but they, you know, we've been pounded over the head so many times that all of our health problems are because we're lazy. And I'm just not believing that anymore. That you know, and and I've seen proof that you don't have to be incredibly active to to stay healthy. Now I think you should. Movement is good, but I don't think it should be our primary focus. I don't think we should put nearly as much emphasis on, you know, this many minutes of aerobic exercise every week and all these things we've been told. When I think that most of this is going to come down to diet and now sleep, I think I'm putting it at number two. This researcher actually believes it's number one. Well, I think I share with you, my doctor of Chinese medicine has it as number one. Sleep, uh, good whole food, and moving. Interesting. Interesting. So... You know, the, the stress that we keep talking about, according to this researcher, one of the biggest problems with stress is that we're not sleeping good. We thought the other way. You weren't mm-hmm. sleeping good because you had too much stress. We might just have that one backwards. So maybe, and how many times have we tried to focus on stress with somebody we don't get anywhere? Yeah. Maybe yeah, it's a lot. Yeah. And it's so. lifestyle stuff that we help work with them. Yeah. I think sleep is one of the lifestyle things we have in there is recommendation. 
It, it is, but I, I think rather than focus and try to solve the stress, maybe we need to be focusing in on improving sleep mm-hmm. and the stress will fix itself. You know, and, and you and I talked about this on the last show that we've both documented when we have a poor night's sleep, our heart rate variability scores just tank. And that's a big part of stress. That's what heart rate variability is measuring. Mm-hmm. Maybe it is the stress that is the initial yeah. trigger or, or the poor sleep that's the initial trigger for the stress. Not yeah. the other way yeah. around. Could be. I like how you're doing a focus. You're doing a focus on that in 2018. Yeah. Can't go wrong with that. Yeah. You know, it, it's not. I, I just realized the other day I went back and did a count again. I've, I've, I'm past 200 books now on health, nutrition, fitness. Um, and it's not that I don't have anything more to learn about nutrition. I certainly do. But it's getting harder and harder for me to find something new about nutrition. Um, I keep reading. I'll continue to read. There's always something new. The microbiome is still big. But there's this whole area of sleep that I think I've been missing. Um, Even though I've done some research and some testing, I'm going to dive into this the same way I did with the food and nutrition and I'm sure we'll come up with some ideas. Like I say, I already have a couple supplements um, that I think are promising. Uh, I'm going on about two weeks now where I've been very consistent taking them every night. And over time, my sleep is improving. And it clearly measure it in the scores. And the other are the, the sleep devices. And there's a bunch now on the market. There are some that use sound to kind of get your brain waves into the right state and rhythm. Mm-hmm. And there are some that use a electrical current to do that. And so far, I haven't had a lot of luck with the sound. Maybe it helps a little. Maybe I need to do it longer. I'm not sure. The couple of devices that I have that use electrical stimulation actually work really well. Uh, The problem is they're both really expensive. They're about $500 each. Uh, So maybe we'll start to see some of those come out on the market and the price will come down. We're going to get to a break. We're going to come back and get to your calls right after this. Stick around. Kevin Rutherford. Uh, real quick, I could probably squeeze in one, maybe two more calls in this fourth segment. So if you have a question or a comment, you press one on your phone right now, we might be able to get to you. Here we go.
Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. The website is Let'sTruck.com. This is Destination Health. Kim is here with me. Kim, I, I'm not really ready to talk about it yet. I'm close, but the one you just sent over to me is one of them. Oh, is it? I had found him a while ago. Um, I think we had talked about him because he was through uh, an article I read in Lava Magazine about one of the uh, pro triathletes that was focusing on a ketogenic diet and focusing on sleep recovery and that, and that's I went looking for that because I remembered him. Okay, cool. Yeah, that that that's one of awesome. them. Yeah, um, that and one other, and like I say, along with a couple other things, my sleep scores have been improving pretty dramatically. You know, to, to I, like I said, I was scoring in the mid-70s. If I got a low 80, that was really good. If I got a high 80, you know, I had to do a lot of things right, and now I'm consistently... Um, in the high 80s, low 90s, and I've even hit 100 twice. So pretty uh, – and I'm getting an even better sleep tracker um, tonight. So I'll, I'll have even better data here soon. Okay, cool. let's, uh, let's go to California and see what George wants to talk about. George, welcome to the program. Hey, guys. I'm uh, attempting my first try here at making sauerkraut at home. Okay. Um, instead of going out and buying a bunch of stuff, I I just used the, my crock pot, um, the pot from in, in there, and I you know put the, the the cabbage and I put one carrot with the skin, um, an apple, one apple. I'm not necessarily trying to stay keto with it. It's a bunch of ginger and a head of of garlic. Okay. And a bunch of sea salt, beat the beat the snot out of it, and then uh, that got some juice level up. Um, I don't. I mean, I just got tap water at the house, and then bottled water. I I topped it off with bottled water instead of getting the chlorophyll or chloride or whatever the hell they put in the water. Um, is there anything that I'm well, and a small shot of uh, apple cider vinegar with Oop. you know the, the raw unfiltered stuff? Oop. That is I, that good, bad, or bad? I, I see two problems. One, if that, if you're going to use tap water at all, you have to make sure your locality. No tap water. Oh, you said no tap water. Okay. Um, yeah, you have to make sure there's no tap water. I, I do use tap water because we have very clean water, and our municipality does not use chlorine. It's the chlorine right. that'll stop the bacteria. Okay, ours, but, ours does. But there's another problem. Right. Ours does. The the acetic okay. acid in the apple cider vinegar will block the formation of the good bacteria. Oh. Okay. Yep. So we we don't That's use good to know. yeah we don't use no. any vinegars at all when we ferment. Just water and salt. Now there are some people okay. that recommend what they call a starter culture, like they'll use a, a whey starter right. culture. I, I've found that it tends to make the food a lot mushier, and it's just not necessary. I have never had a problem getting a ferment started with just salt and water. I just did a bunch of uh, carrots yesterday. Okay. I did uh, like three quarts of shredded carrots because I've been getting these great uh, rainbow carrots in my um, produce box every week. Uh, but, oh. yeah, no no vinegar. Right. It will actually block the ferment. 
Okay. Um, now, the the top of of the again, I I know that the cabbage and everything needs to be under the top of the uh, of the water or the liquid. Um, now, should the the top of the water should that be exposed to air or should I try to keep that what what would we say anaerobic? You know, there there's two schools of thought here. If you look at the traditional way Eastern Europeans made sauerkraut they had giant vats down in the root cellar and they were open and they would even reach into the bottom pull out the fermented stuff and just keep packing new cabbage on top and they were wide open to the air and it seemed to work just fine okay um i prefer the the caps that that are made for the mason jars that vent one way they allow the pressure out, but they don't allow any air okay. back in. You're just less likely to have a, a mold problem if, if you keep the um, any air from getting to it while it's fermenting. So I, I just think okay. you're less likely I, what to I, what end I did up with was a I took a, Okay, what I did was I took a, a clean trash bag and, and, you know, kind of pushed off. Pushed it just so it has a you know a liquid touching the bag, and that's it all the way out to the sides, and then then put the lid on, kind of loose like. Yeah, and um, that'll probably you know, work. Said, this just is my fine. this is my first batch. Yeah, okay. the, the only problem I see is, uh, is there is any type the vinegar. of the vinegar? Okay, okay, that next batch that'll be out. Um, now you mentioned the the big crocs. My, I was talking to my dad about this. He just turned ninety two. He he recalls his mother having a nine gallon croc that they used to do that with. Right. Um, so yeah. <laughs> Anyhow, all right. Well, thank you, thank you for your input. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Yeah, the giant crocs of you know fermenting cabbage and sauerkraut for uh, Eastern Europeans was a very common thing. Yeah, and Kim, like I said, they just you know, they just kept it going. It was perpetual. That's good. That's good. And it's kind of a reminder to me. I don't know. Some of those things it's easy to do, easy not to do. And I go through spurts with, you know, having my own fermented uh, vegetables going. Usually I just stick with the cabbage. I like that with some homemade mayo um, as a side. And uh, I get out of the habit. I have no idea. You know, <laughs> you know it's doing good for you. And then realized I hadn't done it for a while. Yeah, I do the same thing. I've been really back into the habit now because I get this organic produce box every week, and I hate throwing it away, and I don't always, you know, eat enough vegetables to go through the whole box. So the carrots kind of build up, um, you know, the beautiful rainbow carrots. Um, I get a lot of green beans in there, and I'll eat, you know, those sometimes, but I'll ferment them all. So I don't let anything go to waste when the box comes. That's a good idea. Yeah, after a day or two, if I realize I'm not going to go through something this week, I just I ferment it. And, you know, green beans ferment really mm-hmm. well. Um, the, I do carrots either in carrot sticks or shredded. Um, so it's just a quick, easy way because you know, I've got an extra refrigerator downstairs and I can just load it up with fermented. Once it goes in the refrigerator, it lasts forever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Nice. I'll have to do that when I get back. Yeah. So that's um, the uh, the sleep issue 
Uh, it's going to be a big one. Um, I, I feel like I'm this close to releasing, you know, like a protocol and a kit. And, and we found that really helps people. You know, when we do protocols and we do kits, it kind of takes all the guesswork mm-hmm. out. You know, we say do this, 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 and this. Use this supplement this time of the day, this one this often, and and it really works. I mean, you look at our leaky gut kit is really popular. Um, some of the protocols that we've helped people wean themselves off of PPIs and antacids, that protocol works great. So I, I feel like I'm really close to a protocol for sleep. Um, what's holding me back right now is that I am still using the electrical devices. And I, I've got to figure out a way to see how good this protocol would work without those. You know, are they necessary? Would it have just taken longer without them? I have to figure out a way now to go back and and test that because they do clearly help. Um, It's kind of interesting. It's electrical stimulation that resets our brainwaves because that's part of the problem. But when you look at our lifestyle, um, oh, the the new trend towards uh, all the LED lights in your home. You know how all the bulbs now are LED? Mm-hmm. Worst possible mm-hmm. light for your sleep. Yeah, super. Yeah, LEDs because yeah. the all the LEDs they're now it doesn't have to be that way, but the LEDs that they're putting out that are the brightest with the least amount of power consumption are all blue light, and it's the blue light that interrupts our sleep and our melatonin. They can make LEDs in nice warm yellows and reds that wouldn't affect our sleep nearly as much. But you've got to look really hard for them, and they're even more expensive than the standard LEDs. But it turns out that this move towards LED light is not a good thing for us. One more thing. One more thing. I know. And speaking of one more thing, we don't have any time for one more thing. The music is playing. We're all out of time today. Thanks for joining us, and we will see you next time. Hope you're enjoying your holidays. Have a great new year, and uh, we'll see you again real soon. This is Destination Health. Kim was here with me. Be safe. Be profitable. Be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey. I'm Kevin Rutherford.